There we go. Is that good? All right. Good morning to you. If I sound like a frog this morning, it's because I am one. Woke up this morning with some whatever, but here we go. I'm not going to let a weak voice uh, keep us from proclaiming the Lord's Word. Amen? Amen? If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn with me again to the book of Acts. If you were here with us last week, uh, a couple weeks ago we finished up uh, Daniel. It's been some... Uh, uh, since January and Daniel, um, and then now we are turning our attention to a seven-week series on the church before we start the book of Colossians. Uh, we have our uh, journals back there for Colossians, and so if you've not got one already, please uh, grab one of those today, and if we run out, we'll purchase some more of them. But excited about this uh, little thematic series we're doing uh, called Marks of a Healthy Church. Uh, what marks a healthy church? There are a lot of things that mark a healthy church, but we are going to zone in on seven particular things. Last week, we uh, spent primarily talking about the purpose of the church. Why does a church exist? Um, you know, what are we to do? And so, and looking at the Lord's gracious act in not starting the church in Acts, but ultimately uh, has called out people throughout Scripture, even going all the way back to Genesis. And of course, we see the New Testament church and uh, and Acts is really all about the New Testament church and how the Lord is beginning it and how he's growing it and all the wonderful things he's doing. And so as you think about the church, as you study the church, Acts is an incredible place to go to. And so uh, last week we left it at Acts chapter 2, verse 47. It's a passage we've been to many times in the life uh, of North Hills. And uh, I was reminded this morning, next month we are celebrating 11 years uh, since we planted uh, out there in Calhoun and uh, celebrating these 11 gracious years the Lord has given us. But in Acts chapter 2, whenever we see the Holy Spirit uh, come to the church, and the Spirit uh, descends and fills the believers, uh, we see the New Testament church has begun and is growing like wildfires. We left it last week there in uh, verse 47 of Acts 2. It says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And we see this is coming off the hills of Peter preaching to thousands and thousands of people being saved and baptized and beginning to gather in these local contexts that we call the church. And so this is all happening. Uh, and then what will happen in uh, between Acts chapter 2 and 6 that we're in this morning, uh, the apostles will continue to preach. They'll uh, be healing uh, those who are sick, casting out demons and doing all kind of just wild things that are really fun incredible to read about as the Lord is doing an amazing work amongst his people. Uh, if you'll go to Acts chapter 5, there's a really good recap here. Acts 5 verse 12 through 16 says this, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by at least his shadow might fall on some of them you can just get this view as Luke has given us of of all the Lord's doing and the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all healed God was doing an amazing work in the beginning of Acts as he is starting the church and as he is uh, as he is putting his seal, if you will, on these apostles and on the beginning of this great work. 
Which brings us to our text this morning. Our central text will be Acts chapter 6 in these first seven verses. Again, the church is rapidly growing in number, and with any growth come certain challenges. So let us read these first seven verses, and we'll pray, and we'll get into our text this morning. Acts 6, uh, first seven verses are these. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and that and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Taman and Parmenius and Nicolas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of the Lord God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to turn to your word. Lord, we thank you for this word that you've given us in Acts. And thank you, Lord, for the book of Acts that that lays out for us the beginning of the New Testament church and all that you did and how you worked in that, Lord, to to bring about a healthy biblical church. And uh, the pieces you've given us, Lord, that we can model after as we desire as well to be a healthy biblical church. So lead us this morning. Keep me from error, Lord. And may we make much of Christ. In his name we do pray. Amen. So as we turn <clears throat> our attention to this text, to Acts chapter 6 this morning, or last week as we looked at these uh, seven marks of a healthy church, of a, of a healthy church, uh, we said last week we looked at the purpose of the church, and this week we're going to look at deacons. We're going to look at what the scripture says about deacons. Who are deacons? What are they supposed to do? What are they all about? Uh, and it's something we have wrestled with and walked with uh, and nor- through North Hills, uh, specifically eight years ago whenever we called our first group of deacons. And we'll talk a little more about them later. But deacons is our topic this morning. And so Acts chapter 6 is where we see the, the model, if you will, of deacons first show up in Scripture. Uh, now there is, you can, the, the language here, the actual word deacon, especially the same use of deacon that we see in 1 Timothy 3 and other places of Scripture, uh, is not specifically used, but we clearly see that the deacon ministry, the model of those set apart and called out by the church to serve the church begins right here in Acts chapter 6. And there's a specific reason why it begins. And the Lord gives us the why of deaconship, the why of having deacons. And so two things this morning that will guide our conversation. The first of which is this, is the purpose of calling deacons. Why do we call deacons? Uh, So we're going to look at the purpose of calling deacons. And secondly, we'll look at the process of selecting deacons. So again, as we've said, as we've seen, and we'll see it again in verse 7, there are six different times throughout Acts that, uh, that Luke gives us kind of a... A, um, um, a milestone, if you will, saying the church is growing. We've seen it a couple times from chapter 2 to chapter 6, and we see it again in verse 7 uh, that talks about the word of God continuing to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so, uh, so what we're seeing here is this continued story of growth in the church. 
and, uh, and, and these different things that are happening. And this is an important moment. This is a milestone in the establishment of the New Testament church. And that is the calling of these deacons. And so as they're growing, a challenge arises. And it's not a theological challenge. It's not a, a leadership challenge per se as far as the apostles weren't the right men to lead because we've seen they, they hold the apostles in great esteem that ultimately the, the church is growing in faith and growing in, uh, in their desire to be a healthy gathering, uh, called out ones of the Lord. But there is a particular challenge that arises and that is this grumbling, this complaint. Let's go back to verse 1. Now in these days, the days in which the, the New Testament church is flourishing, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Now let's stop for a moment and just talk about who these people are. Who are the Hellenists and who are the Hebrews? We've talked about the Hellenists many times. And it's interesting that coming off the hills of Daniel, and we spent a lot of time in Daniel talking about one world, world, well-known world leader, Alexander the Great. And one of the things that Alexander the Great did more than any other of the rulers of the ancient world was he spread his culture, the culture of the Greeks. He wanted everyone not just to be dominated by the Greeks. He wanted the culture to permeate all peoples of the known world. And so simply put, Hellenism is the process by which Greek culture permeated the known world. And so if you were a Hellenist, you were one who uh, you spoke Greek and you engaged in many things of the Greek world. Now, this was not entirely bad per se. But this is so in the church. There were Hellenists, Hellen, Hellenistic Jews, these Jews who spoke Greek and who were engaged in the marketplace and engaged in and the culture around them. As opposed to the Hebrews, when you say Hebrews, you're specifically referring to a group of people who likely did not speak uh, Greek, they likely spoke Aramaic, and they had very limited interaction with the culture around them. And so these are these two groups, and we see them in the church, and we see the Hellenistic Jews, and if you remember uh, going through the book of Hebrews, we were speaking to the Hellenistic Jews, and as we've gone through a lot of the New Testament, the Hellenistic Jews are those that uh, the Lord is speaking to, and, and the author is writing to. So here are these two groups, the Hellenists and the Hebrews, and they have a little complaint. They have an issue. The Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so as, uh, as the church is growing, it seems clear to us that the early church had a significant role in meeting physical needs of believers. We saw this last week in Acts chapter 2. You can briefly turn to uh, Acts chapter 5, just one page to your left likely. Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 12. Um, is that my right passage? I think I missed that one. Oh, where do I go? It's somewhere here. I done lost my, done lost my note. I thought I wrote that down. There we go. Acts 4. Thank you. It just took me a second. Acts 4, verse 32. 4.32 says this, And now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own. But they had everything in common. This is what we see in Acts chapter 2. We see this, this picture of the church giving to one another. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were proclaiming the gospel. They were pointing to Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who had, was also called 
by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we see this picture. A great need in the early church was to provide for the physical needs of those that were being saved and those that were coming into the body of the Lord. And so this was a clear need that, was, that existed in the church was to provide, was to make daily provisions for those who were in the church. And then the Hellenists said, hey, we're, you know, we're, all, we're all in the church here, but it seems like our widows are being neglected. You know, that we're called to love and to serve all, but the Hellenistic Jews are being neglected. So there was this complaint, and it seems to be a legitimate complaint because the church addresses it, and the Lord uses the apostles to address this complaint. So as we talk about the purpose of the deacons, the first purpose of calling deacons is this, is to minister to the practical needs of the congregation. The first purpose of calling deacons is to minister to the practical needs of the congregation. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to do this duty, to this duty. So they're not neglecting that needs to be done. They're not saying that you're wrong. They're recognizing that, that there was some neglect on these Hellenistic widows. And so they said, we need to call out men to this task, to minister to the practical needs of our congregation. And these men, indeed, they rolled up their sleeves or they hiked up their tunics, whatever it is they had, and they went to work, right? They made sure that the widows were not being neglected. They served these tables, um, not as one who serves another, but as one who serves the Lord. Because we see these are godly, qualified men, men who were called to serve the Lord. And so they made sure that these widows or no one in the church were neglected. They served tables. They met this practical need. And that is the purpose of calling deacons. One purpose is to minister the practical needs of the congregation. They tended to whatever needed to be done outside of ministry, of preaching the word, and praying for the people of God. Because we see that is the primary purposes of the elder, of these apostles. And we see it throughout the New Testament. That is the primary calling of the elder is to proclaim God's word and pray for God's people. And this was not a slight, as we're going to talk about this morning, this is not an issue of value that an elder is more important. Hey, we can't serve tables. we got to preach the Word. They said, no, we, we have to be so committed to preaching the Word, so committed to praying for the people of God, to, to shepherding the hearts and the souls and the spirits of God's people, that, yes, this work needs to be done, but if we go do this, then it's going to take away from our ability to do as the Lord called us to do. So the purpose of calling deacons is to minister to the practical needs of the congregation. Secondly, it is to enable the elders of the church to be more devoted to prayer and preaching. As we're going to talk often about this morning, there are two offices established in the New Testament uh, when it comes to leadership in the church, elders and deacons. And Randy, sorry to call you out this morning. My, my good friend Randy's here with us. And I remember years ago, I had the opportunity to be a part of Randy's ordination service, the deacon. And I said something then that I'm going to say the opposite of now. I said uh, that deacon is not an office because there is no office for janitor, right? There is no office for someone who serves the church. <clears throat> As we'll see this morning, all of us are called the church. 
All of us are called to serve the church. All of us are called to be janitors. A dear friend of mine who's no longer with us, he uh, uh, went, on, went on to be with the Lord years ago, Steve Lawson. Uh, dear, dear friend, love, love the Lord. He says something that's always stuck with me. He said, John, ministers, we're just movers and janitors. That's all we are. So we just serve the people. <clears throat> and I agree with that. All of us as believers, we should be movers and janitors in every aspect of our life. We should serve the Lord and serve His people. But as we look at the New Testament church, and in Acts, in the letters of Paul, we see clearly that there are two offices in the church. And that is the office of elder and the office of deacon. They are equal in value, but different in role. They are to complement one another. Not, hey, you look nice today. Or, hey, that's a, you did a good job in serving today. Hey, that's a good, good sermon, brother. Not that kind of compliment, but to make whole, Right? The, the office of deacon and the office of elders are two offices in the church that the Lord has given us in Scripture that exist to complement one another and to serve the church faithfully through its practical and spiritual needs. A church is not healthy in the absence of a plurality of elders. And neither is a church healthy in the absence of deacons. So as we talk about the marks of a healthy church, Two marks of a healthy church is, and Evan's going to uh, talk next week, <clears throat> preach next week on, on elders and the importance of elders. But two marks of a healthy church, the plurality of elders and the presence of qualified biblical deacons. The Bible calls for both, and both are equally needed. They are to support one another as collectively they desire to serve the body of Christ, to serve the bride of Christ. So we see as we talk about, as we think about deacons, the purpose of calling deacons is one, is to minister to the practical needs of the congregation. Two, is to enable the elders of the church to be more devoted to prayer and preaching. And thirdly, to support the growth of the church, to support the growth of the church. And so going back to this old milestone that Luke gives us in Acts 7, the word of God continued to increase in the number of the disciples and multiply greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, as he's saying that single, singly because the call of deacons that all these things happen. No, I don't think that's the case. But you see, as this progression of the New Testament church is established and is formed and is fleshed out, and we see it grow and we see it, uh, we see it conform to what the Lord wants, then we see it continue to grow, both numerically and spiritually. And it's not because they had a great deacon ministry. It's not because they had a great brand as a church. It's not because they offered freebies if you came and visited the church on, uh, on, uh, on the Lord's Day. It's because they were honoring the Lord and the Lord grew it. And you see that all through Acts, it is, always the, it is always God who is growing the church. And the Lord honors churches who desire to be healthy, biblical churches. And so as we, eight years ago, um, committed to to having a, a presence of deacons and we continue today with this uh this desire to have deacons a part of the active ministry of the church as we'll see in a moment that deacon body will grow so the purpose of calling deacons is to minister to the practical needs of the church to enable the elders of the church to be committed even more to prayer and preaching and to support the growth of the church Deacons are a biblically prescribed component of a healthy church. And North Hills has been richly blessed by her deacons and will continue to be blessed as we add to that number. So, how are we going to call more deacons? We know why we should call them. We should be convinced from Scripture that, uh, that they are needed and they're part of God's plan for, uh, for the church. 
So how do we call those deacons? We call them in the same way in which the New Testament called their deacons. Number one is you identify the need or needs in the church. It's very clear in Acts chapter 6, the need, it's about these neglected tables, a neglected widow ministry, if you will. So there is a need here that clearly, that clearly needs to be taken up at the hands of qualified men in the church. The apostles recognize the need in the congregation. Elders must recognize the need in the congregation for deacons. And so here we are today. So what we are asking of North Hills is that you prayerfully consider uh, nominating a man um, or men for the role of deacon because there are needs, and we'll talk about a little this morning, there are needs in the church. And so those needs are to be met ultimately by qualified biblical deacons. And so we see they identified this need in Acts 6, but secondly, they nominated biblically qualified men. They nominated biblically qualified men. The apostles instructed the church, they instructed this gathering here to find qualified men within the congregation. It says in verse 2, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Go with me real quick to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We don't have uh, all the time to really walk through this uh, as we should. I want to point to these qualifications as they are important. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see the qualifications for overseers or elders. And then starting in verse 8, we see this qualifications for deacons. Deacons like starting in verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must behold the mystery of the faith, the clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so, as we look to the office of deacon, as we see these two offices here fleshed out for us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see the deacons have these godly qualifications. Not just anyone should serve as an elder, not just anyone should serve as a deacon, but those who are biblically qualified to do so. We need to find perfect men, right? Oh no, <laughs> right? If that were the case, there'd be no deacons, there'd be no elders, not looking for perfect men, only one perfect man who's ever walked this earth, and it was Jesus Christ. But we're looking for men who love the Lord, who are called according to his name, and who have a desire and a gifting to serve the church, and who have this, have this character for They are known, their reputation, and we see that summed up in verse 2. In verse 3, of good repute, they have a godly, Christ-like reputation, of, of having a, a good reputation, of being full of the Spirit and wisdom. And so the process of selecting deacons, one, is to identify the need, two, is to nominate biblically qualified men. Which brings us to a question that, is, um, that we see, and even more often nowadays, can women serve as deacons? I'm going to read some of this because I want to be very clear uh, on where we are in this topic. Can women serve as deacons? Let me first say this. Women are such a rich treasure in the church. Every one of us here today likely have numerous women to thank in our life for our spiritual formation. I thank God for all the women of our church and how each of you love and serve both Christ and his church. A biblical case can and has been made for, 
from other godly leaders for women to serve as deacons. In Romans 16.1, we see Phoebe, who is described as a deaconess. In this sense, both males and females should be deacons and deaconesses is. Those who serve the church. Faithfully serving the church is not limited to the office of deacon. If you're sitting here thinking, you know what, I'm so glad we're calling more deacons because I'm ready to stop doing things. I'm ready just to rest. And I've heard that attitude in my years of ministry um, is I'm just ready to, to stop. I'm ready to rest. I'm ready for someone else to come in behind me. It's their time to serve. That's never the case for a believer. You can rest from serving the church when? When you die. <laughs> now, that service looks different, right? As we age, the service looks different, maybe with health issues, all kind of things that make that service look different. But as believers, we're all called to serve the church. Some also understand 1 Timothy 3 to, under, to address not wives of deacons, but instead female deacons or deaconesses. Yet a plain reading of the text points to the qualification of a deacon to be the husband of one wife. It does not seem necessary to infer that Paul is not addressing men in this passage. So we as the elders of North Hills believe that there is more biblical evidence for male-only deacons. The Bible calls for men, as we've seen in 1 Timothy 3, the husbands of one wife. And Acts 6 called out seven men specifically. And this is important. Deacons are not only servants, but they are fulfilling the biblical office and the, with biblical qualifications. And just as Christ came to serve, deacons are servant leaders in the body of Christ. So, to a degree, all of us are called to deacon. All of us are called to serve the church. But in this specific office of deacon, who's called to be called out and set apart for this particular task, then we see clearly in Scripture that it is a task for men. So not only do you identify the need, not only do you nominate biblically qualified men, but thirdly, you appoint deacons. You appoint deacons. It is important to note that we are calling for a body of deacons here at North Hills and not a board of deacons. So what's the difference in a body and a board? Let me read you something from a seminary president from Southwestern, seminary, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in 1955. So this was, I can't do the math on the spot, 67 years ago, I think. Uh, maybe that's right. 67 years ago, we see uh, this seminary president say this. There are churches where deacons have appropriated to themselves authority, which is contrary to New Testament teaching. That may have gone so far that bossism has developed. You can Google that word. It's interesting. There is a board complex and a general feeling that deacons are directors of the church. Nothing could be farther from the Baptist way or the New Testament plan. Anywhere this condition exists, there inevitably are those who say that deacons are not needed. And the truth is that such deacons as this are not needed in churches. As you think about this board of deacons, this group of men who come together, who not in a biblically healthy way, who, ha who try to exercise this authority, who try to have their way in the life of the church. And many of you may have had that experience in your life in different churches, and that is not biblical. And so what happens is we see something that's not biblical, and we have this experience, so we just reject it. But we don't reject what God has clearly prescribed in his word. So we don't forget deacons. Instead, we appoint godly deacons who are called out to, to be just that servants, a body, a group of like-minded, servant-hearted men to serve the church faithfully. 
They're not looking for a board of deacons. They're looking for a body of deacons. The church does not need this board. Instead, she needs a body of godly, servant-hearted deacons responding to the call and gifting of God to serve. Because God has wired certain men in a certain way. For what purpose? To be great workers? Sure. To be great at their house? Sure. But to serve the church specifically? Yes. And praise the Lord. To serve well and faithfully. So for us here at North Hills, here's where we are. Three things. You may want to jot some of these down. Number one, many needs have been identified that can best be handled by a deacon. We'll walk through those uh, in the coming weeks. There have been many needs in our church that have been identified um, that we believe firmly as elders that we need to call out men in our church to serve in that specific capacity. Number two, we are asking you to nominate godly, biblically qualified men. You have two weeks to do it. All right, there you go. Put it on your calendar. September 11th. That's two weeks from today. That marks our 11th year anniversary of North Hills Church. So what better way to celebrate that than with the nomination of God's, of good, qualified, godly men to serve the church. So the the needs have been identified. Then we're going to nominate these godly men And then number three, after praying through those nominations and visiting with these candidates, the elders here at North Hills, we will visit with these candidates, uh, pray with them, talk with them, see if uh, if they will uh, put their hands on the plow, so to speak, and then we'll bring them to our members meeting, which is September the 25th. So that is our plan. And so think about deacons in the church. We think about, you know, the 11 years that the Lord has allowed us to, to be a church, and we're praying for many, many more faithful decades of ministry here at North Hills, I'm grateful for our two deacons who we currently have here serving at North Hills. That's Roy McCartney and David Wallace, who clearly are men who love the Lord and love the bride of Christ and who are called to serve. And I'm excited that we get to add to their number. A mark of a healthy church is qualified godly deacons. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to uh, be in your word. Thank you for a chance, Lord, to look at this mark of a healthy church, and that is deacons. Lord, we know it's not the only mark. It is one mark, and it is one that, Lord, you have allowed us to, um, to see in our church in these past eight years. And so I just uh, pray, Lord, that other churches would have a, a similar commitment, Lord, to, to be healthy and biblical and to call out godly men to serve well. And Lord, we thank you that ultimately we get to look to Christ, who did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, Lord, uh, may we look to his example. May we desire to serve well, whether in the office of deacon or just to be a part of your bride. So in these next few moments, Lord, as we sing, may you uh, allow us to respond to you in faith. May you allow us to respond to, uh, to your word as we come to the communion table, Lord, and remember Christ. And we do so with joyful hearts. As we have a chance to give, Lord, to the work of the church, may we do so with, with grateful and joyous hearts. And as we leave this place, Lord, may we do so as a marked, called out people. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.